Good morning, church. Good morning. Dr. Bob, thank you so much for everything you do to make Augustine Calamesa happen. I think this is my last first in Calamesa. Um, I think. I made it through Christmas in Calamesa. I made it through Easter in Calamesa. I made it through Pine Springs Ranch in Calamesa, and now I'm making it through August in Calamesa. So I think you're going to initiate me finally at the end of the process um, once a year hits pretty soon. But I have enjoyed the experiences um, of all the experiences with Calamesa, and I'm looking forward to the rest of this month. But uh, Dr. Bob, just personally, I want to thank you for all your hard work. And uh, I know you don't like praise and adoration, but, but we love you and we sure appreciate everything that you do. So thank you. Um, we're in for a treat this month. We have some fine speakers coming next week and the weeks after. Not so much this week. You all get used to me every week. But um, after me, next week you'll have Yami Bazan, who is Vice President of Student Life at La Sierra University. Worked at the conference office for, I think, about seven years in the youth department. Uh, wonderful speaker, wonderful friend, wonderful spirit. You will enjoy her. And, and she taught at Mesa Grande. See, I didn't even know that. There you go. So some of you know. So we'll see how many of you liked her by how many are here next week <laughs> if you're out. So I'm sure there will be a lot of people out because uh, she is a great woman. And she, with our theme of worship, she's going to be talking about worshiping God in truth. And then the following Sabbath, uh, Dr. Pauline will be speaking and sharing the vision of worship from the book of Revelation and uh, what the Apostle John has to say about that and his visions. And then the final Sabbath will be uh, Dr. Mark Woodson, who's the secretary of the Northern California Conference, who actually pastored here in this conference for many years. He was at the Mount Rubido Church for many years and then uh, over at the conference office uh, for a while before taking off to Northern California Conference. And he will be coming, talking about worshiping God in spirit. And I know Dr. Bob has lots of music planned uh, for all the services in different styles. And uh, I really appreciate it was out in the courtyard today. Did some of you get to catch some of that? That was wonderful. That was great. That was great. And I uh, sure appreciate the music today and our guests with us singing. And I um, uh, appreciate, where's Adrian? Sure appreciated that voice, man. Just, just makes me smile, you know? <laughs> and all of you as well. Just, just love it. Well, I want to ask you a question this morning as we launch into our theme of worship. I want to know just today, just want to know, where are all the people who are always right? Just raise your hand, okay? Okay. We, we're now finding out who the arrogant people are and the ignorant people at the same time. We call it ignorant arrogance. So, but that's good. You know, confession's good for the soul. And so we know who all the right people are. Have you, have you ever been in a situation where you were wrong and didn't know it, but everybody else knew? And you were so, you thought you were so right, you were even bold about it. Some of you are feeling my pain. When, uh, when I was at San Gabriel Academy for a few years, I was taking a class, I think it was life skills or something. And you know, it's one of those classes when you're in high school, you're like, life skills, when am I ever going to use that, right? 
just like typing. I remember taking typing 101. When am I ever going to use typewriter when I, I'm not going to be typing the rest of my life. That's probably the class I use most is using the keyboard. So I was in this life skills class and I sat down and they said, this is a test. And, and we had the sheet of paper in front of us. And I, I looked at it and, you know, I, I, I didn't pay attention as well as I should have in classes. You know, I was always thinking about basketball and football and girls and all that type of stuff. And, and so I just kind of scanned through and I just kind of was speed reading this thing. And, and I, it asked you to do things. And so I just started doing these things, you know, like stand up and count to 10 out loud. I didn't see anybody else doing it, but I thought, hey, you know, sometimes to do what's right, you just got to do it. And so I stood up and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And I sat down and people were looking. <laughs> Another one popped up, you know, and some people are starting to giggle. And Okay, I go on and keep going. Do 25 jumping jacks. This is really weird, but I'm going to do it. So I got 25 jumping jacks in class. Went on and did a few other things. I don't know, like sing the national anthem and all those types of things. Pretty soon, you know, I noticed that the nerdy ones were all laughing. Because, see, they were the ones who always read every word. They're the ones who really studied and took things seriously. And so I, people are laughing. I'm like, oh, and other people are sort of doing it, but they're not sure. I get down to the end, and what do you think it says? The first line was, read everything before you do anything. The last line of the assignment was, don't do anything on this page. So there I was in all my glory, showing uh, ignorant arrogance. It was good. Another wonderful time was when I had changed schools, and I was playing on the basketball team, and they were running this offense that I just didn't quite understand. Didn't have it under my belt yet. But the coach had put me out there, and I was still trying to like, you know, okay, if it's man-to-man, -man, who do I cover? And wait, we're going to zone, and what do we do? And, and I, I still remember it. It still haunts me. We were in a tournament game, and I'm playing defense. I'm guarding the other team, and my coach gets up off his seat because was, we were bringing in the ball there. I didn't even realize we were bringing in the ball, right? So my coach says for everybody in the gym to hear, Chickarelli, we're playing offense. <laughs> I'm like... Oh, they give me the ball, you know? <laughs> I hate being wrong, don't you? Especially in front of a lot of people. And that happens from time to time for a preacher, you know? Well, today, as we kick things off, we're going to look at a discussion that Jesus has with a woman in which he lets her know that she might be wrong about something. And Jesus is traveling. He's going from Jerusalem up to Galilee. And in John chapter 4, where we're going to pick it up, in John chapter 4, it says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And when the Lord learned of this, he left Judah, Judea and went back once more to Galilee. In verse 4, it says this very interesting phrase, all by itself. Now he had to go through Samaria. Now if you understand anything about the Jews and the Samaritans, and you understand anything about the layout of the land, the shortest distance from Judea, Jerusalem, to Galilee is through Samaria. Straight line. But no good Jew ever went through Samaria. 
you went the long way. If you were going from Judea to Galilee, you would go east, go across the Jordan into Perea, and then go back up across the Jordan into Galilee. But the text says that Jesus it says that he had to go through Samaria. And I would like to suggest to you this morning that this is not for geographical reasons, but for theological reasons. Jesus wanted to meet with a Samaritan. Jesus wanted to meet with this woman. Jesus wanted to set things right about worship. And so the text goes on and says, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, or about noon. About that time, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to the town to buy food. I always get a kick out of that, thinking about these 12 Jews in Samaria trying to find food. Can we talk to them? Can we, what do we do? The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. It was probably at least 125 feet deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank it for himself? as did also his sons and his flocks and herds. And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now we know that Jesus later in chapter 7 talks about the Spirit that God will give people which will be like this water welling from within. I just want you to think of something. This isn't really the point of the sermon today, but, but something for you to chew on and think about in the context of what I'm going to say. We often say that Jesus gave his life for you, which is true. But think about this. Not only does he give his life for you, he gives his life to you. Just think about that. He gives his life to you. The Spirit of God himself within us welling up within us as our life. As the apostle says, not that I may live, but that Christ may live in me. He gives his life to us. Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now you need to understand a little something here. Jesus was not just talking to the woman, but in a sense he was also talking about how Samaria and the Samaritans were viewed. You see, Jews looked at Samaritans as people who had not been faithful to God. Because back in the 7th century when when the Assyrians came in and took captive the northern kingdom, they took many of the Jews captive, but not all. And so when they came back, there, there were many Gentiles that came and mixed with the Jews. 
And so it had been like they had been unfaithful to God in staying pure. And so the Jews looked down on the Samaritans. And then it was the 4th century B.C. under the Persians in which they built a new temple in the northern kingdom. And then is when they said, it is the law of Moses alone that we hold to. They did not accept any of the other books of the Jewish Bible, of the Hebrew text. They did not look for a king to come in the line of King David and a Messiah. They looked for somebody to come that they called the restorer, somebody who would come back and restore all things. And so he says, what you have said is true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. See, she's saying, wait a minute, this guy's telling me all kinds of things about my life. Maybe he can answer the age-old question of controversy about the worship wars between the Jews and the Samaritans. Maybe he can finally answer the question about worship and tell us what is true. And so she says this in verse 20. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. And Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, or but, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. You see, Jesus came, God came, tired from his journey. Now, if you were the Samaritan woman, or even today, if God came to you looking tired and thirsty, would you think he was God? If he came sitting there asking you for a drink of water and then to say that he would like to give you water and he has no bucket to draw with, you might just think he's a little crazy and want to give him $5 and walk away. But God showed up in this woman's life unlike she had ever experienced him before and unlike the box she had put God in. You see, we need to understand a little bit that where Jesus and this woman were having this conversation was at the bottom of a mount called Gerizim. And at the bottom of this about 3,000-foot mountain was where they were talking. And this mountain was the place where Samaritans believed worship happened. Worship doesn't happen away from this mountain. This is where it happens. Because it goes back to the time of Moses maybe even Abraham, the Samaritans believed that it was Mount Gerizim, that that was where Abraham was trying to sacrifice Isaac. Mount Gerizim is the place that their leader, Moses, said, when you enter the promised land, you go there to the valley of Shechem, and you stand there in the valley with the Ark of the Covenant, with the priests, the Levites, and half of the tribes will be on Mount Gerizim, and half will be on Mount Abel, and you will read the law of Moses, and you will pronounce the blessings and the curses, and the people will shout, Amen. Now that was a worship service. That was a ceremony 
of thousands and thousands of people saying amen to God. This is where it happens. Well, things happen and the differences develop between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so now the Samaritan woman says, this is how and where we worship God. So maybe you can sort this out, this interesting man at the well today. You seem to be a prophet. You can tell me things about my life. Maybe you can tell us, really. Is it here? Is it Jerusalem? Where is it? And God gives her an answer that is nothing she could have ever figured out, thought up, dreamed of. You know what, lady? It's not where you worship. It's who you worship. You see, Jesus brings it right down to the center. In verse 20, she says, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. It's place and program. And Jesus says, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father. You will worship God. You will know his presence and you will worship neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. But, remember I told you that word but is one of my favorite theological words in Scripture. Because whenever the Scriptures say but, it means God is up to something. God is going to change history. But a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. Now, you know, it's interesting, the journey of being a pastor. Sometimes I say to God those two words. You know what they are? Why me? (laughs) Why me, God? Why? Now, don't get me wrong. I enjoy pastoring. I enjoy journeying with people. I enjoy worshiping with people. But every once in a while, you know, as we all do in our lives, we say, why why does this have to happen? Why this? Why that? And one of the things that has always puzzled me in my time of ministry is the wars and the battles over worship. Something that is fully about the presence of God. Something that seems like that if we come to the foot of the cross, we all ought to have a lot of love. And if we leave the foot of the cross and begin criticizing and pointing fingers and making judgments, we had better get ourselves back to the foot of the cross. I want to share a couple of comments that were written for pastors. What's wrong with the inspiring hymns with which we grew up? When I go to church, it is to worship God, not to be distracted with learning a new hymn. This was last Sunday was particularly unnerving. While the text was good, the tune was unsingable, and the new harmonies were quite discordant. Written in 1890 about what a friend we have in Jesus. Was that the organist's idea or yours that our peaceful worship services were shattered by the new hymn last Sunday? The music was sacrilegious, something one would expect to hear in a den of iniquity, not in church. Don't expect me to even attempt to sing next time. 1874, about a song you might know called I Love to Tell the Story. Pastor, I'm no music scholar, but I feel I know and appreciate church music when I hear it. Last Sunday's new hymn, if you can call it that, sounded like a sentimental love ballad 
one might expect to hear crooned in a saloon. If you insist in exposing us to rubbish like this in God's house, don't be surprised if many of the faithful look for a new place to worship. The hymns we grew up with are all we need. 1863, written about the song, Just As I Am. Some things never change. I can't resist. One more, if you will. There are several reasons for opposing it. One, it's too new. Two, it's often worldly, even blasphemous. The new Christian music is not as pleasant as the more established style because there are so many new songs, you can't learn them all. It puts too much emphasis on instrumental music rather than godly lyrics. I'm sorry, but I was blessed by the violin this morning, weren't you? I'm blessed by the organ. I'm blessed by the guitar. I'm blessed by the piano. I'm blessed by the voice. I'm blessed by the drums. I'm blessed by anything that is played for the glory of God. This new music creates disturbances, making people act indecently and disorderly. The preceding generation got along without it. It's a money-making scam, and some of these new music upstarts are lewd and loose. 1775, by William Romaine, writing about Isaac Watts, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. So just try to tell me our own personal preferences don't play into these things. That just... Hmm. <laughs> well, you know, we have somebody in our midst who's a troublemaker. I already alluded to him earlier our own Dr. Bob. He doesn't just stir up trouble here. He stirs it up at other churches. He had told me, he asked me if I'd heard a sermon by Randy Roberts that he preached about music, and I said I hadn't. So I, I checked out the podcast, and he said, well, he, he kind of mentions me, but doesn't mention me. And so I want you to know he's the guy he's talking about if you heard that sermon or, or want to listen to it. It's a fantastic sermon. And uh, he talks about a time when they had a, uh, a musical group at the university church. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, there were some people who loved it, and there were some people who didn't like it. And then they got some interesting phone calls. Now, this is something that sometimes we as pastors, we get to receive um, speech spoken in foreign languages, if you will, uh, mixed with the English language from time to time. Some of you are catching my drift. <laughs> and it's not Hebrew and Greek, I'll just tell you that. And he talked about how these phone calls came in and there were messages and, and one person even said something to the effect of, you better not have that bleeping music again in that bleeping stage or you're going to beep, beep, beep. I've even heard somebody say, not in this church, but in another church, I don't care what the Bible says. It's wrong. Now, there's only one thing you can do as a pastor at that stage. And I hope, I don't know if anybody, but it's a technique you learn like this, right in the eyeballs. And you say, no, just kidding. You say, I love you. God loves you. God bless you. You see... I would even suggest today that if we were to see people worshiping God like they did in Scripture, many of us might leave the church. We might say, oh, that's not biblical. I mean, 
I'm, now, I'm not suggesting that you're going to see me dancing down the aisle because the way I dance would make you want to leave the church. But, but you know what I'm saying. But I must confess to you that I struggle with my worship of God. I struggle because I like it all. I like it all. I grew up studying classical music. When I studied music in college and I studied Mozart and Beethoven and Bach, I dreamt classical pieces. I'm not kidding you. I woke up dreaming classical pieces. And as I studied more music and I went on, I began to appreciate the expression that God does through all styles of music. But I struggle with my worship of God, and I'll tell you why, because I can't tell you why, actually, except that I worry sometimes about what y'all may think. And I think that's why most of us struggle with worship when we're together. We may not be afraid, actually, of what God thinks, but what my sister or brother is thinking next to me in the pew. When I'm in my backyard, and as I told you, I'm becoming an astronomy junkie. So I pull out my telescope, and I have to confess, I bought a bigger one since the last time I told you. So I'm turning into an addict at this point. And I pull out my, my, my telescope, and I put it in the backyard, and I look up at the planets, and I look up at the stars, and I look up at these nebulas. And I, there are moments, there was one evening, it was just last Sunday, not even a week ago, and I was looking up in this constellation, I was looking for a certain nebula, and I had this high magnification on, and this meteor shot across my eye, eye view. And it was just like you thought it should look, where this bright light went across and this vapor trail, like, just trailed and then fizzled away. And I was just in awe. And I stepped back from the telescope and I did this. God, you are amazing. You are so awesome. I was so humbled. But I got to confess, I feel a little uncomfortable doing that when we're gathered. Because it's just not how I was raised. It's just not, and some of you may think that's completely improper, and you're okay to feel that way. But sometimes I think we worship, if we really look at worship, we worship more the people around us than God above. Because we bow to what people think instead of the audience of one. Worship is all about being present with God. You see... When the woman was there, Jesus, God, was present with her. And he says, you know what? It's not where you worship. It's not Gerizim. It's not Jerusalem. It's where I am. And I am here with you right now. You see, when he said that last verse, most of our translations don't, don't bring it home the way that the Scripture does, the way the Greek does. That last verse, he says in verse 26, when the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ. Now, she probably didn't call him Messiah. Most scholars think that, that, that John, who wrote this you know, several years after Christ had left the earth, was writing this for the church, we have to remember. Put this in there to understand for his readers. But she was looking for the restorer. She was looking for the one that was going to come back and bring everything back to the law of Moses. Bring everything back to the way it's supposed to be. Bring everything back to the way it was the day we celebrated at Gerizim and Abel. We know the restorer is coming. And Jesus said, Well, I am the one speaking to you. I am. Now for her, that two, those two words meant everything. 
Because in the law of Moses, who was it that spoke to Moses? I am. There she was, always hearing about, knowing about I am. And there that day, I am was in front of her and says, God wants people who worship him in spirit and in truth. From the integrity of their heart, people who will acknowledge his presence and honor his presence and worship his presence. As the video said, it's not about me and it's not about you, it's about him. We need to be comfortable with people, though, and where we're all at in the journey of our worship experience. If some people want to raise a hand and surrender, we need to be okay with that. And if some people don't, we need to be okay with that, too. And if some people connect more with the hymns, we need to be okay with that. And if some people connect more with the choruses, we need to be okay with that. And we don't need to be like any other church on this planet. We can develop a unique worship style, unique to our experience of God here at the Calamesa Church. Amen. We don't have to say, well, this is what everybody wants, or that's what everybody wants. We need to be present with God, and as we're present with God, we will worship from our hearts in spirit and in truth. And it will be an original expression of the people of God in this place. A few years back, I did an experiment in Escondido. I asked people to journey with me for a month who would commit to spending 30 minutes alone with God every day. I said, we're very simple. We're just going to read a certain chapter in the Bible, say like John 14, and just commit to being with God at the feet of Jesus for 30 minutes. You can do more if you want, but at least let's do 30 minutes sitting at the feet of Jesus in Scripture. And then every Friday night, we're going to get together and just spill on one another from the overflow of our time with Jesus. No agenda but to come and to share out of the overflow and worship together. So we did this for a month. I had 13 people who wanted to do this. We did it for a month. The month was over. Open it up. Anybody else who would like to do this? Same 13 people. Third month, same 13 people. Fourth month, same 13 people. Pretty soon I'm going, hmm. Because see, I still hadn't gotten it yet. I was still thinking, program, and I want to see things grow. Now, growth is good. But inner growth is the most important. And so it starts going, and Jesus started teaching me a, uh, a lesson about discipleship. That discipleship is slow. And I'm thinking, okay, we're getting close to a year, and we still have the same 13 people. And then I felt the Holy Spirit kind of say, John, if it took Jesus three years for 12, maybe it would take you nine. <laughs> so just be patient and keep staying at my feet. Okay. Well, long story short, a year comes, 13 people, and then by God's grace, nothing I had done, I was doing the same thing, by God's grace, the next month, we had 90 people. 90 people that wanted to commit to sitting at the feet of Jesus 30 minutes a day for a month. Now, let me tell you, it wasn't just high school, it wasn't just college, it wasn't just young adults, it wasn't just the young families, it wasn't just the in-betweeners. It wasn't just the senior citizens. It was all the generations. All these, 90 people from the mixed generations wanting to sit at the feet of Jesus. We would get together on Friday night. And let me tell you, the worship I experienced at those gatherings was some of the most powerful worship I've ever experienced in my life. Young and old and all in between singing hymns, singing choruses from their hearts, 
out of the overflow of the presence of God. You see, when Jesus is Lord and his presence is primary and the priority, everything gets sorted out. Everything gets sorted out. We're comfortable with some of the things that we may not be comfortable with and both ways because we are confident that Jesus can lead us, that the Lord can lead. I like the image that I just read just last week that we need to be like a feather on the breath of God. And when we follow Jesus, we can be like a feather that just wherever God blows and what he's going to do, we can be comfortable that he can take care of us and that he can lead us and that he can guide us and draw us into his presence. I want to do a spiritual exercise with you this morning. It's camp meeting, right? So you have no appetite. You are here only to feast and to fill yourself on the word of God, right? Okay, I'm just making sure I'm in the right church. I'm sorry, the right tent. I'm in the right tent. I want to do a spiritual exercise with you this morning. And I want us to read this psalm together as a song of worship from our hearts like we mean it. Not as a task, not as just something we're going to do, but like all wives like their husbands to do, to say it from their heart and mean it. Amen, women, ladies? Okay. So, we just heard the Spirit of the Lord speak to us through the women. Now, here's what I want to do. Now, listen carefully. Follow the directions, okay? I'm going to read the first verse by myself. There's only six verses. I'll read the entire first verse by myself. And then for the following verses, verses 2 through 5, there's the phrase, praise him. I want you to say that phrase whenever it comes up from your hearts this morning. I will read the rest of the verse. You just say, praise him. And then we'll read verse 6 all together. Everybody got it? So I don't want to see anybody standing up doing jumping jacks or anything like that, okay? Here, there you go. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. For his surpassing greatness. With the sounding of the trumpet. With the harp and lyre. With tambourine and dancing. With the strings and flute. With the clash of cymbals. With resounding cymbals. Now everybody, let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Isn't it good to worship God? Isn't it good to praise Him? To take a deep breath of God in His presence and to say, God, it's all about You. When we acknowledge His presence, we will worship Him. We won't just acknowledge His presence in the past, which is important. We will acknowledge His, present, his presence in the present and look for His presence in the future. See, we, won't, we don't want to discard how God has moved in the past of the church. We need to be, that's where we learn faith. That's where we hear the stories. One of my favorite songs of all time is, This is My Father's World. I love that hymn. Be Thou My Vision is an amazing song. But we need to also be listening for the, how great is our God. We need to be listening for what God is doing now as well and enjoy His presence from the centuries past into the future together because we will worship into all of eternity.